The topic today is the fear of God. It's a pointed fear of God conversation. It's not an all-encompassing, broad fear of God conversation, but there's so many scriptures that it's hard to say, I don't want to put that one in there, I don't want to put that one in there. It's a fear of God. I want to talk to you about the fear of God, and then I'll point the thing in the direction that it's, it's ultimately here for today, which isn't just the fear of God. Okay. I'm going to start out with Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2, to, to kind of, um, I don't know, build a little foundation here. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's where the fear of God starts. Humility, contrition, and trembling. And, and, and contrite or contrition, they're not words we use very much, but what, what they mean is like broken. It's like I, I've, I've cleared my eyes so that I can see clearly. I've looked in the mirror, and what I see now is true. I've been horrible before the Lord. I've not kept his statutes and his laws. I've been a transgressor. I've been a re, uh, uh, rebelling against him. And my heart is broken in my sin. My heart is broken in the person that I've been before, this God who's created all these things. That's kind of what it means to be contrite. Um, in the Beatitudes, these two verses kind of imply basically the same thing. And that's Matthew 5, 3, and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, it's a reasonable application that, that in Eddie's passing, that people will be comforted in their mourning, M-O-U-R-N, you know, their mourning. But that's not the specific point that this verse is trying to make. The point that this verse is trying to make is that people have come and recognized their sinfulness. And it's brought them to a place of contrition, and in that contrition, God will bring them comfort. That, that's what he was saying in the previous one at the end of Isaiah, uh, verse 2 of 66. But to this one I will look. God will put his eyes upon. He, he'll, he'll make contact with. He'll, he'll give a place for him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at his word. That's, that's the God that loves you, that wants you to tremble at his word because it's real and it means what it says. Did Patty go out with kids? No. Okay, yeah, I forgot to say, but there will be no kids if there's any here going anywhere today. And, and the youth, you guys just get to be blessed again. Let me give you just a couple more foundational fear of the Lord verses uh, and then a, a, some expansion on one. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So there's no wisdom that we would start to manifest in our lives. I mean, kingdom, heavenly, eternal wisdom that doesn't start with the fear of God. And the second part of that verse, and the knowledge of the Holy One, is understanding. Let me read you the next verse and then tie back to that one. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The first knowledge that somebody must have is the knowledge of God. So when he says 
the knowledge of the Holy One, that really is doing a good job of explaining that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If, if you have no fear, no reverent awe, but real fear of God, then you're not going to walk into any knowledge of God because you have to recognize who he is and what he represents to you in order to, to even stop caring only about yourself to be able to start engaging the knowledge of God. It's just a list of verses. I'm just going to read them. I won't expound on them much, but I want you to see just a taste of how important knowing God is in the, in the New Testament. John seventeen three. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is to know God. Without knowing God, there is no eternal life. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So every speculation, all this crazy stuff that runs through our heads all the time, the devil, flaming arrows, all that kind of stuff, has got to be uh, tested because it's trying to raise itself up against a true knowledge of God to change our perspective so we don't see God who he really is. Ephesians 1.17 that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's like, we, this is in the middle of a prayer, and Paul is praying for us. He's like, that, that you would gain a spirit from heaven that would give you wisdom and revelation to know God better. It's that important. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. When the Lord Jesus will, will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So it's a negative one. It's like this is what happens to people that don't know God that haven't, haven't begun to fear him that would cause them then to want to know him and then ultimately obey the gospel and be saved to be able to spend eternity with him. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So somebody who says, well, I, I know God, you can look at their life and you can find out whether they actually know God or not because their life will reflect whether or not they have a true knowledge of God or a false knowledge of God. And then finally, Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, wouldn't you like that? Like if I had a thing and I could just touch you with my thing and say, more grace and more peace. It Multiply it. How much do you have? Multiply it. Not add, multiply. Multiply it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If there's not enough peace in your life or you, you, you feel like you need more grace, go learn something about God and it'll be multiplied for you. Pretty awesome. Okay, now... The rest of the, the, the message here until the end, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you kind of in a carrot and stick fashion. Are you familiar? Anybody unfamiliar with a carrot and a stick, right? You got, you got a donkey or a mule, and you want to ride that mule, and you want him to go. One way you can get him to go is you can take a stick and beat him. You know, move, mule, go. And he'll respond to the stick. Or you can put a carrot at the end of your stick, and you can hang it out in front of his nose, and he'll chase the carrot because he wants to have a carrot. So there's two ways that you can look at some of this stuff. You can look at it from the perspective of the carrot or the perspective of the stick. I will give you the stick first. 
Matthew 10, and a lot of these scriptures are not going to lead a lot of, need a lot of um, expounding upon, and I'll try not to so that John's not late. Um, Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, with a capital H, him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, you know, the guy that Eddie faced or didn't face or whatever in that office room with the gun, it's like, that's a fearful situation, but that is a immeasurably less thing to be afraid of than the fact that Eddie might not have known God before that happened, and he would have to stand in judgment before the one who would not only hurt his body, but also his soul in hell forever. Philippians 2.12b, so just the end of verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, why in the world would, would the Bible say that to us? If there was nothing to be afraid of, it wouldn't make any sense at all, would it? So we're to walk out our salvation and, and other scriptures that speak to test yourself, to see if you're actually in the faith. Um, uh, examine yourself. Look at your uh, life. Are you producing fruitful things or are you not producing fruitful things? What is the fruit of your life? Those kind of things are how we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. It talks before that about Jesus having the name that was exalted above every name, you know, that, that that is who we would be found in. And because of all that, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It says afterwards, for it is God who is within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the one that we're resisting against, if we're not conscious of what he's trying to do in our lives, is God himself. And if we're not paying attention and our flesh is manifesting itself over and over and over again, then we, we aren't conscious of a fear of the Lord. Otherwise, we would walk a different way. Amen? Okay. Um, Jeremiah 5, 20 through 25. Now, this is God speaking. He says, declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, now hear this, O foolish and senseless people. Boy, you know, when somebody doesn't have the fear of the Lord, you should, I should, we should pay attention to the way they're described in the Bible. Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do not tremble in my presence, for I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, so it cannot cross over it. To tell that to the global warming people. You know what? When the, when the North Pole turns into water, God said it can't get past the sand. We've got nothing to worry about. You could move to New York, and you will not have to learn to swim. Uh, they, though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart, they have turned aside and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain in its season, both the autumn rain and the spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have withheld good from you. The correlation is that because you don't fear God, you ignore God. You do what you want, what pleases you, and what God says then your iniquity is holding back all this blessing, all this goodness of relationship with me, of the rain falling on the crops when it's supposed to. How come we don't have any food, God? You know, it's supposed to rain, our crops won't grow. Because you don't have any fear of God. You, you only have fear of your own pleasures. Proverbs 12, excuse me, Proverbs 1, 22 through 33. Again, listen to how this starts. How long, O oh, naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? 
and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. So there's three ways that this course of Scripture, God himself, is describing people who choose not to fear him. Naive, and naive is to show a lack of experience, wisdom, or judgment. Um, scoff is to speak to someone or about something in a scornfully derisive or mocking way. So, you know, you tell somebody about Jesus, and, and then they scoff Jesus. It's like, ah, he's your little fairy tale guy, whatever. That's a scoffer who doesn't take a serious matter as being serious. They make fun of it. And finally, a fool, a silly or stupid person, a person who lacks judgment or sense. Like, you, could, you know people. You can say, wow, you're about to do this. Let me show you all the reasons why that's going to hurt you or somebody else. And they say, I don't care. I'm going to do this. It's what I want. And then they act foolishly. So a naive person, a scoffer, or a fool. Verse 23, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I call... <laughs> I feel like that's what we're doing right now. God says, I will make my words known to you because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. That's pretty substantial stuff. It's hard to just blow by that and not ponder, wow, God, what are you saying to me? I'm, he's saying, listen, you'll either listen to me or you won't. And, and your outcome is determined on whether or not you have any fear of the words that I'm saying to you. The scoffer, the fool, and the naive are how God describes people that choose not to fear him. Okay. Now we'll put the carrot in front of your noses for a minute. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, right? For, for those of you that aren't real familiar with your scriptures, this is New Testament. It says, for the one, tell me if this is you, for the one who desires life to love and see good days. I, I, that, I would raise my hand for that. Must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Whoa. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So there, there's your New Testament Covenant of grace, God speaking to you and me, saying, listen, what would you like your life to be like? You could have it this way, or you could have it this way. God, how come you don't hear my prayers? I've been praying and praying and praying and praying. Why don't you hear my prayers? He's like, I'm not going to hear your prayers, because you love evil. And just, just so you know, I mean, if you wanted to, to figure out what evil is, don't think in terms of, of how the world thinks. Murder is evil, rape is evil, 
you know, this, this kind of stuff. Think in terms of the world. The world versus the kingdom. When you're trying to measure something, is it evil? It might be accepted and still be evil. If you had to make a definition, is that the world or is it something that would be manifested from God's kingdom? And, and there could be stuff in the middle that's kind of neither, but when you're evaluating something, you're evaluating it not because it feels like it's in the middle. And then, and then you ask yourself, now if I had to only let that be in one camp or the other, where would it be? If the answer is world, it's evil. Okay? Because you're speaking from God, you're thinking from God's perspective, not from our perspective. Well, you know, 100 years ago, the things that we do and are acceptable in culture today would have been evil. But the devil doesn't take a mile at a time. He takes a half an inch at a time. Because we're complacent with a half an inch, but we never give him a mile all at once. But guess how many, I mean, we could do this, how many half an inches equal a mile? And, and he's not worried about time. So over and over, and, you know, and, and just me now, almost you know, pushing towards 60 years old, and I look at the generations that's after the generation that was, you know, like my oldest children, and then the next generation, my youngest children, and I'm like, dang. And they think I'm crazy. Why? Because they've been indoctrinated into a world that thinks so much different than when I was their age. And they're like, well, you're just, you know, you're just old and you don't understand. And I'm like, but man, it's, you know. And so we have to see this not through the lens of culture, sadly, not through the lens of what we see in the church, but through the lens that we see through Scripture, because that's God's perspective. New Testament, First Peter. But guess what? He's quoting, Peter's quoting Old Testament. Let me read you the Old Testament, where it comes from. Psalm 34, 9 through 15. Look at how it starts. Same thing. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Now, Peter didn't put that part in there when he was quoting it, but that's the context that it came from. So you could say, fear the Lord in the first Peter scriptures. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be want in want of any good thing. Can I just stop right there? Do you believe that? Seriously, I mean seriously. Do you believe that if you were to fear God and seek after him, that you wouldn't have any want? Now, I'm not talking about worldly lusts. I'm talking about what does Jesus say himself in Matthew 6? Don't worry about it, right? Don't, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and wealth. So, so trust God and just believe he's going to meet all your needs if you will seek his kingdom and his righteousness. It's saying the very same thing here. You should believe it. You do not have to worry about the food to eat if you're serving and, and, and chasing after the Lord. You don't because he said so. Right here he said so. And then he repeated it in different words, but it's the same thing in Matthew chapter 6. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Done. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. It's not an Old Testament principle. It's not a New Testament. <laughs> it's what happens when I try to read too fast. My tongue is like way out here. <laughs> New Testament principle, it is a principle of God. 
It's how it is. It's just how it is. You could wish it was different. You could be glad that it is. doesn't matter. It is because it is because he said so, and he's the one that ordained all of this. If we will serve him, fear him, fear him, like be afraid of him. Be afraid that if I don't, this could be the outcome. But if I'm afraid of God and not walking with him, then I get to have food. I don't have to worry about it. I mean, look it. It's working. I'm never without food. All right. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. If any of that sounds good to you, there's the recipe right there. Humility and the fear of the Lord, riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 14.26 and 27, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. That's a pretty nice-looking carrot. Proverbs 10, 27, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Again, notice the contrast. He who fears the Lord. He who doesn't fear the, the Lord, how do we describe him in this verse? Wicked. The fear of the Lord, the wicked. The fool, the scoffer. I forgot the third one from the beginning. Fool, scoffer. Now listen to these two. This is from Deuteronomy, both of these. And, and you know, Jesus, Jesus says in Revelation, I think it's chapter 3, he says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone would open, I would come in and dine with him. It's like, wow, what an offer. Before that he says, um, repent and be zealous. So he's talking to the church at... Uh, um, at one of the seven churches, the one I'm most familiar with and I can't remember its name, Laodicea. He's, he's speaking, writing to the church at Laodicea, and he says that you're lukewarm, and because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You taste like vomit in my mouth. But if you'll repent and be zealous, I'm standing at the door. I want to come in. I'll come dine with you. And, and it's almost the same tone that you hear here in Deuteronomy. Listen to how... God himself is speaking to mankind. Deuteronomy 5 and 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. So, so God's not looking to be um, a controller. He knows where blessing lives and where curse lives. He wants us to be blessed. Oh, that they would be such a people that would fear me and, and do my commands because I want the very best for them. And when our flesh rises up and, and God won't allow us to have both, we think, what a bad God. I, you know, I just want what I want. Why don't you just give me what I want? Because he knows ultimately if he gives you what you want and blesses it, then you'll never serve him. And the only thing that's left for you then is destruction. Deuteronomy 6 and 24. So the Lord commanded us, to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. The fear of the Lord, the care it is, it's for your good and for your survival. There is no bad thing that comes from the fear of God. But there's tons of bad things that come to him who won't fear God. Okay, so you got a sense for fearing God, for the blessing that's associated with it. It requires humility. If you'll humble yourself in the fear of the Lord, obey him, 
walk in his ways, walk in his statutes. You have a sense for the curses, the, the hardships that are before any person that's foolish and scoffs at God and his commands and the calamity and the disaster that's going to come. All by itself, that would be a wonderful thing to know. But here's, here's the reason why it's important for you today. Because of what we've been talking about for the last month and a half. Holiness. And I think that there are some, maybe many, maybe few, some, sometimes even me, as much as I've been studying, as much as I've been praying, that want holiness to be a suggestion. Like God says, you know, I saved you. I'm looking at Keith because I can look at Keith. I can look at anybody else who will get mad at me. I, I saved you. I, 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 I paid the price of your sin, the eternal wrath of God. I paid it in myself. I placed my spirit in you so that you wouldn't be overpowered by sin. I took you out from under the law so that the law couldn't empower sin in you. Yet, you don't want to walk in a way that's pleasing to me. That's why the fear of the Lord is so important. Because if we don't fear the Lord and we don't have holiness, if we don't, if we don't fear the Lord, we won't have holiness. So we're, we're, we're this church, not just us, you know, hopefully not us at all, but, but the church, at least in the West, wants to believe that the covenant of grace means that you can do whatever you want. You can serve your flesh all day long, and grace is going to make it okay. So let me go back and read to you where we started. Our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. This is God speaking to us. God says, my mouth has spoken freely to you, Pat. My heart is open wide. Pat, you are not restrained by me, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak to you, Pat, as a child, open wide to me, God, also. He gives me some examples. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. They, in this context, is the world and its systems and all of its pleasures, the world. And do not touch what is unclean. I promise you, I shouldn't say that with paint with such a broad brush. I, I'm pretty sure that there are things that you're touching that are unclean, and you don't have any sense for it at all. I was. I was watching. You know the story about the, the TV shows on the Netflix, broadcast shows. I was touching it. I was participating in it, and it was so horribly unclean. God says, hey, come out from there. Don't touch what's unclean. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? I will be their God, they shall be my people. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their father, they will be my sons and daughters. You want that promise? It doesn't exist outside of holiness. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. How? Read it. Somebody read it back to me. In the fear of God. What if he said, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness? It'd be different, wouldn't it? But when you put that verse in the context of all those other verses that I just read to you, it should have a pretty profound impact that the reason that you ought to perfect holiness is in the fear of God. Why should you fear God? Because he's the one that can kill your body and kill your soul and send it to torment forever in hell. Because he's the one that's going to establish how all of life on this earth and all of life in eternity is going to play itself out. Therefore, because he's God and he is going to have his way and he isn't going to dwell with unholy people. When we gave our confession, remember it said in one of those verses or something I read to you earlier, um, uh, being obedient to the gospel. Right, When you boil down the gospel, the whole of the gospel is God created you in his glory, in his image. But we sinned and fell short of that glory, separated ourselves from God, and then God, in his gracious mercy, offered us a way back through the blood of his very son, that if you should confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, that he was the full payment for your sin debt, you shall be saved, reconciled back to God. The first part of that is confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Jesus himself says, repent and believe. There's no salvation without repentance. Yet we want to walk in this grace that gives us the, the freedom to do what we want. And see, the, th the thing is, like me, we think that We've carved out, okay, you know, I, I don't hardly say any cuss words, and I, I don't look at pornography, and I don't steal, and I don't lie, and we got all these, you know, I'm not committing adultery, and, you know, this kind of stuff, and we think that we're holy. But there is such a depth of holiness. Measure your holiness against God himself. When I say, is it in the world, or is it of the kingdom? Ask yourself, is this something God would produce? If the answer is no, don't watch it. If it's a documentary about how trees grow, it's in the middle. It, 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 it actually probably glorifies God if you had some sense for it, as long as you don't give the credit to evolution. But the point is, most of the stuff we're talking about, you already have a little bit of disease about, unease about. And, and ask yourself, because that's the walk. When I asked you this morning, close your eyes and ask God, is there something? Is there anything? If he showed you something, you need to put it down. Seriously. It, it, it's just, oh, I got this Francis Chan. I need a, it doesn't work so good with an iPad. I got this Francis Chan. He's, when he preaches this kind of truth, he looks at people with the most sincere heart and he says, he holds up his Bible, he says, does anybody read this? Because you can't, you can't find that life inside this book. Repent. Stop it. Cut it out. Be holy for God is holy. The point of the fear of the Lord today is so that we understand that it's not a suggestion. It's not like, man, I sure hope you guys will be holy like I'm holy. It's like, if you want to be around me, you need to be holy. And, and he is patient, and he is merciful, and he is gracious, but he's not patient, merciful, and gracious to no end. Matter of fact, let me just, this isn't part, but what the heck. Um, yeah, we're back to the stick part. Sorry. <laughs> 
Uh, let me just take you to Romans. I'm going to say chapter 2. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so they are, that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, interesting, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, because of that, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature themselves rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You can read the rest if you want to later. It's a very stern warning. Okay, I don't mean this to be that creepy, but it is true. And, and man, if we would just decide it, we could decide to go and have the blessings and the river would flow and we could dance in the river and we could stand in the river of God's glory because it's what he wants. It's what he wants, but he's not swimming in our cesspool. Let me just finish with this. The whole conversation started with God confronting me, me personally, with the, the unholiness that was part, part of my life. As I'm asking, Lord, where is the power? Where is the glory? He's like, hey, I'm not holding it back, Pat. It's you. It's your affections. You have affections for the world, and as long as you are participating in those affections, there's none of that for you. I'm like, wow. And then he started to open up the scriptures to me. Now, this morning, I, I, I shared with you about how we should pray for the things we've been praying for. More than just, please heal him, God, please heal him, God, please heal him, God. We need to start asking, Lord, why have they not been healed? And the keys, he'll give us the keys of the kingdom so that we can pray the prayers that are actually going to bring about God's will in their lives. And for that one, I just want to close in Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. I got a word for somebody. I'm always unsure when I get a word because it's not like this heavens parting and, and this, this uh, thunderous voice of God comes in. It's just like a word. It's just like I heard bitterness when I was praying for the lady in India. It, it just sounded like my own recollection of something I'd been taught. And I ignored it for a while. So, I, I mean, I, I can't promise absolutely this is God speaking to you. Thus saith the Lord this. But I really think it is in this particular case because that's what I was praying. Lord, I've been praying for this for years. It hasn't manifested itself at all. What is the block? And I heard the word. I'm like, wow. And the next day, I think it was the next day, I was praying again for that same person. And I mean, it's not even like, a syllable got out of my mouth, and bam, that same word just hit me right in my thoughts. So if, if I'm just saying if, that was God, and there's a person 
you know, it's like I'm talking to that person. I'm not trying to, but it's just the best example I have right now. Has a person that's struggling with something, then maybe that word references that thing. And if you would not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from that thing, which doesn't seem evil, but it is evil because it's world, it's not kingdom, then it will be healing and refreshing to your body and your bones. And then we will have gotten the keys of the kingdom and actually, it's like, what's one of the keys of the kingdom? It's salvation, right? And you go up to somebody and you share the, the, the gospel with them and they don't respond. And then, he, then they just get to stay dead to God and they get to go to hell unless they change their mind later. It's the same thing. We think, oh, where's God? Where's God? You know, it's not real. It's not for now. It was for then. And because we don't see it happen, it's because we think that God's going to operate in ways different than how he says he's going to operate. I can't answer all the one-offs, like, but this or but that. I have those examples in my life. We've prayed for stuff. Nobody repented or anything, and they got amazing healings. But why don't we just believe what the Bible says? Let's don't be driven by the but whatabouts, and let's just be driven by this is what it says, and watch what happens. Amen? All right, let me, I just want to pray. Listen, we're going to praise God. I know, you know, we're, we go a long time, and, and you know, when your time is done, just go. But we're going to learn how to move from singing songs to actually receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit where we hear his voice and he speaks to us in ministry and we say, oh God, thank you so much. And then we run up here and get on our knees and we, we confess and we repent. Or he says, hey, listen, here's a key for so-and-so. We run over and we humbly go, listen, I think this is what the Lord is saying to you. You know, what do you think? And they're like, oh, man, that seems real. Okay, let's pray together. And, and then we start to minister to one another as the Holy Spirit is ministering to us. And then we start to shut off unholiness and, and worldly stuff. And it hurts because I like that stuff, but guess what? Then the glory comes, and more glory comes. And then we start to get built up in the things that are true and real, and then we start to shine like a city on a hill. And we truly are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And people come and God is glorified. I don't care if they come here. They can go, there could be 10 people here. I honestly don't care. If, if God wants me to be a 10 people guy or a 10,000 people guy, I don't care. But I want Jesus to be glorified and I want his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And he's given a mechanism. There's a head. His name is Jesus. There's a body. Its name is us. And as soon as the body will align itself perfectly with the head in unity and holiness, just like he was, as the Father sent me, so I send you, just like that, when we put down and humble ourselves, put down the world, all of a sudden I think the glory is going to come. And it's going to be so awesome. And we'll be like, oh, get the world away from me. This is too good. I would never want to trade this for that ever again. Father, I just pray such a spirit in this house today. Paul prayed over the Ephesians that they could have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. I pray we would have the same spirit. And then that we would respond to that spirit. And as we come to see the truth about you, Lord, that we would come and decide to offer you ourselves in that same truth. Living in holy sacrifices acceptable to you as our spiritual service of worship, Father God. Each and every one of us cleansing ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of you. Being holy for you are holy. God, your word is true. Your word says that we, we should be sanctified 
by your word, and your word is true, and the sanctifying, the sanctification happens when we respond to your word in the way that you intend it. Oh, Lord, I pray your presence into this place today. I pray as we, as we sing songs and the words of the songs bring our hearts to a place of praise and, and honor towards you, that, that you would be pleased and that you would smile and you wouldn't see people singing songs because it's what they do in church. You wouldn't see people with broken and contrite hearts, God. Not fools, not mockers or scoffers, God, but people that love you, that want to know you more, that want to walk in the light as you are in the light. Have the blood of your son, Jesus. Cleanse them of all unrighteousness, God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. Over and over they sing this in your presence in the throne room because it's true. And you filled this earth with your glory, God. Have us to respond to that glory. Have us to be filled up to the full measure of God in Christ Jesus, Lord, please. Be gracious and merciful to us, Lord, as we battle with our flesh. As we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and every speculation that tries to exalt itself, exalt itself above a true knowledge of God and we put him down, we put him down, and we put him down and we realize that we have no life but to glorify God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy God. Are you Lord God?